She just asked if I had time to speak in my program. Would have been so sweet, but I got other plans. Can't be everywhere. I'm not the air you breathe care. But please, like Alcatraz, the lack of company behind these great bands. There's no remedy. She told me, change man. Take more risks, make memories grow and live dreams. I wanna say yes, yes. Hope I see you next time. Hey guys, welcome back to Block Channel. We're back for episode 67. Uh, and we're back for a slightly different episode as we get close to closing out the season here, as this is our last episode. Um, you know, hope you enjoyed the previous episodes uh, that we had with Austin um, and, of course, uh, the Kong Cash guys. And so to close out things strong as a podcast, you know, we, we speak to so many different entrepreneurs in the space, uh, engineers, uh, business operators, et cetera, um, you know, that are really helping to push this technology towards the bleeding edge and to help us really understand fundamentally on how these things work. And but one of the few things that people don't normally do is have conversations with those that cover the news that we read every day. Uh, and so, you know, what, what I sought to do for this episode and to close out the season is to just get a perspective of what it's like to be a journalist in the crypto space as a whole. Uh, and so that being said, uh, along with Corey Petty, my co-host with me today, uh, we're also going to be speaking to uh, Lee Quinn, who is one of the more popular journalists at Coindesk and whom also a big fan of her writing and her perspective um, as she's been traveling around the different crypto communities in order to deliver us some really good coverage. Uh, and then while other people in the past might have different opinions on Coindesk reporting like that in the past, um, I think it's important to understand at least the journalists themselves as like individuals. So that's going to be the core part of our conversation today. Um, so, but aside from that, uh, Corey, can you introduce yourself to the audience for number 67? What's up, everybody? Dr. Corey Petty here from the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Um, I really feel that journalism is a, a large part of this ecosystem and um, the ethics around it are really uh, interesting to me. So I'm excited to, to talk to a journalist and get their perspective on all that. Yep. And, and as a as a writer myself and as someone who, you know, has a podcast with uh, with these guys, you know, I wouldn't necessarily consider myself a journalist. I would more so just consider myself like a content creator. Uh, and so but, you know, it's, it's, it's sometimes it can be difficult to, to, to understand where those lines like uh, blur. Um, and so, like, we're going to get to the bottom of that. Um, so without any further ado, Lee. Can you give us a uh, you know a quick background on who you are uh, as a person prior to you know starting at CoinDesk uh, and and kind of like what led you up to you know being a part of our community? Yeah, thanks for having me today, guys. So I'm a journalist. I'm from California. I got my first newspaper internship when I was 16, and I've been working in the industry pretty much ever since in some way or another. I worked in the Middle East for five years, focusing on culture, but also um, some of the politics there, especially the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, but not only that. I moved back to the US, wow, it was maybe 2016, I believe. Um, and I started focusing more on the sex industry. So uh, porn and uh, escorts and individual performers and also reproductive rights, a lot of things related to, to gender. 
And then in 2017, right before things got crazy, I got a new job at Newsweek Media Group. And they asked me when I got that new job if I could help spearhead fintech coverage with this uh, focus on blockchain technology. Now, I'd heard about Bitcoin in 2015 when I was working in the Middle East uh, during some of my research related to darknet markets. But it was very brief my introduction to Bitcoin. I just knew that it was a concept of money on the internet that was being used on some of these networks that I was studying. Um, so when they asked me to cover blockchain technology in 2017 at Newsweek Media Group, I didn't know barely anything at all. And so my condition was if I was to switch beats entirely from uh, culture and uh, politics into technology that I, I would have longer deadlines, more time to do some research. And they said, sure, because no one on staff could figure blockchain out. So it seemed like a win-win for me. They needed someone who was willing to try and figure something out that no one on staff could do. I was very pleased to have an independent research time, which in the news industry these days is an extreme luxury. Uh, so I just got started there. And I mean, that was early 2017. Things very quickly went crazy, right, in the market. So imagine if you're learning for the first time what all of this is in 2017. And I realized very quickly I would have to kind of dive in head first and just immerse myself because there was so much going on that if I was going to tease everything apart and really understand it, it was going to require my full attention. And I joined Coindesk uh, a year later, uh, 2018. I've been there ever since. Awesome. And, and so um, uh, to back up like quickly, you know, you said that you had to, you know, personally dive into the space, you know, head first. Uh, as a journalist yourself, what sort of resources did you find or were there any sort of individuals or, you know, organizations in the community that were very like beneficial in helping you sort of grasp like what all was uh, being built? Yeah, there have been so many people that were extremely, extremely helpful. The guys at Chaincode Labs, for example, have been very helpful. Um, a lot of people that are involved with the Ethereum community, um, Richard Burton, uh, just so many people that I genuinely could not name them all. They're so incredible and helpful. But it took a long time, I think, because I had to relearn basically how to do my job. So. Uh, let's give an example of, so I'm in the Middle East and I'm covering something that's pretty controversial and uh, dealing with the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. So I would know going in, okay, so the Palestinians are going to say this many people died and the Israeli army is going to say this many people died. And I'm going to go to Inter Amnesty International for kind of like a third opinion and then I'll include all of these numbers to have kind of like a spectrum. When I came to the crypto space, I realized there was no third party that was kind of recognized as having external and untainted data sets. And so I was still having within the community, like people with very conflicting views on, on what the numbers even mean, right? Because people always talk about blockchain being so transparent. And that's true if you know how to read it. But if you don't know how to read it and you're learning how to read, what someone translates for you is very important, right? And so if I have two people translating the same data for me in different ways, and I don't have an objective third party that I can turn to to kind of see like where it goes in the middle, like how did is how do you report something like that? Um, so I had to learn that I needed to understand the people themselves and what it was they were, why they were coming to the space, what was their motivations here. Um, and that would help me as I was trying to figure out what it would be that I could trust them with. And it's not that if things were maybe having conflict of interest, I would distrust them, but I might press them a little bit harder with certain questions, or I might ask them like, where did you get that data from and when did you get it? I just might be a little bit more skeptical 
um, if I know, for example, that they are benefiting from a certain thing and or if I know that they dislike someone because they, you know, founded a project with them five years ago and then things split up. So understanding like the personal politics of everyone, just like in the Middle East is, you know, you understand why these people are saying what they say. Is that something that was immediately obvious to you when you when you entered into the no. space and doing research is that everything that you learn or read, or for the most part, I'd say um, the media is more biased, I feel, in this industry than most others. So it was not immediately obvious to me. And I think in general, we have an issue with the media industry and it rewards bias. So what you guys are seeing from that as readers is very clear and very true. It's not that you're seeing something that isn't there, but people often assume it's personal bias as opposed to access bias. So something that really stuck with me early on is I wrote an article about Monero and I cited an academic paper. And for me, I was thinking, oh, an academic, he must be um, non, he must be non-partial. He must have nothing at stake here. He's a professor. And there was very prompt backlash uh, about that article and, and the way that things had been phrased. And I quickly realized that that professor was associated with a rival project. And even though it was an academic peer-reviewed paper and the paper itself was true, there was context around it that I was not aware of and I should have um, been able to frame. And when you're working as a journalist, it's very rare for you to have long deadlines. So imagine if someone tells you like, okay, you have two hours I want you to write down about this thing that even you are still trying to figure out how to understand. Your editors surely don't understand. Um, and you need to be able to explain it to a 12-year-old, but also there is no finite opinion on what is right and what is wrong because it's still being tested. Good luck with that. Two hours, go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it sounds stressful. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I just I started learning very uh, quickly that like th things would get negative reactions from people or positive reactions from people for reasons that for me didn't seem obvious until I understood who that person was. And that's when I started to realize like, okay, what's very important for me in this field is to map out the individuals and what they're involved with and what their motivations are. Because until that happens, I'm going to keep getting uh, stuck with something that is true but lacking context. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So in so that light, what, go ahead, go ahead, Mac. Go ahead. All right, so with that context, um, I've often tried to keep my pulse on what was going on in this ecosystem. And I think over the past few years, that's getting that's gotten more and more difficult to keep um, quality sources of information so that I can stay up, mm -hmm. to, up uh, abreast with what's going on in a at least you know semi unbiased fashion. Where do you go for information, and how do you navigate that world? Wow, that's a really good question. It depends on what it is uh, we're talking about because there's so many different kinds of blockchain projects, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm on crypto Twitter probably too much. Um, <laughs> I also talk to people all the time. I mean, one-on-one -on -one coffees, phone calls, um, people at various companies in this space, just checking in with them. What are their challenges? What do, what do they see as opportunities? What are they experiencing? Um, I also read you know, widely. I think Bloomberg does a really excellent job with coverage. I think uh, there are a few other, you know, Aaron from Bitcoin Magazine. There are a few people that are, are doing a really good job surfacing content. But what I found is that there's not, like, if you want to stay up to beat on 
what's going on in sports, you follow ESPN. And if you want to stay up to date on what's happening in fashion, you could follow Vogue. And Coindesk is kind of the equivalent of that. But if I'm here at Coindesk, and I can't just like rely on what's being fed to me. How do I give the audience what it is they need? It requires a lot of uh, ear to the ground, like talking to people. And sometimes when you're talking to 20 people and you talk to 20 traders, you know, and they're all saying the same thing, maybe they're not uh, telling each other that because it's a competitive advantage or disadvantage, but you start to realize like, oh, that's a thing that needs coverage. Okay. And that's a very time staking process. I'm not saying that that's a, a great way to have hourly content, but in terms of the kind of demands that I'm allowed to fill, then yes, that, that's how I do it. And so uh, since you've been, you know, kind of, you jumped headfirst into the crypto space when you were working at your previous gig and they're like, all right, so learn up on everything you need. And then when you got the job at Coindesk, did your perspectives on how the industry looked to you change when you moved from working on a publication that was not directly all crypto to then moving over to Coindesk? Like how, how was that transition and, and, and how did you find your like, kind of like your foothold in the community? Yeah, it was all, so much different. Um, I still think that I know nothing now. I know for sure I knew nothing in 2017. And in 2018, <laughs> I still knew pretty much half of nothing. <laughs> I remember coming in thinking to myself, I've been covering this for a year. It won't be hard at all. And then having to do my first lightning article. And my mind was just blown all the time. I kept trying to understand like how this was working, why it was people were having certain criticisms of it. Um, yeah, I think the, the transition was I needed to get deeper into the technology. Uh, for mainstream publications, it's easier and, and acceptable to have just a very uh, cursory familiarity with how the technology works, because what you're talking about is like they raised a round. Um, and I mean, ideally, everyone would know how the technology works as well. But just saying that, like, that's not something I would need to go into detail to in my in my articles. But I started to find at Coindesk when I was writing for an audience that was already pretty savvy about who these people were and, and what they're selling or what they're doing. I needed to go deeper into why that matters. And the why that matters was really hard. The, the first lightning article I wrote, it took a lot of back and forth with the editors and it was weeks. I mean, that's insane. I, I can't remember the last time I had an article that took weeks, but we had a strong disagreement about what was the value of the Lightning Network and uh, what were its weaknesses. And these are things that are debatable, right? Like, like nobody knows for sure. But it was very important to me that in the article, we give the best information possible about those those questions. And so it, it um, I needed to learn how to not just have an answer, but how to deconstruct that answer so that I could then replicate it um, for things that weren't handed to me. Like if somebody tells me this is the value of this thing and be like, how did you get that answer so that I can deconstruct it and be like, oh, but wait, this is a fundamental issue with how computer science works. How do we problem solve for that? Mm -hmm. Do you expect all journalists to do that? Hell no. <laughs> That's a problem. Don't you see that as a problem? Because it's almost necessary in this space, yet most won't go through that painstaking process to learn what they're talking about and talk about it appropriately. Yeah. So let me tell you a little bit about what most journalists face. Um, so for example, when I was interviewing for that position at Newsweek Media Group that I ended up getting, I was also interviewing for one of the leading magazines in our country. Okay, I'm not gonna name them because I'm not trying to shame them. But when I was interviewing for that position, they were like, we want you to produce nine pieces of content a day. What? Wow. 
To which I told them, so what you're asking me to do is not reporting. What you're asking me to do is rephrase press releases. And that's a fine (laughs) job, but let's just be clear on what that is. Um, when I was even working at uh, the, pu- the publication I was at uh, before that, I was expected to do three articles a day, which I con- routinely fell short and would only write one to two, depending on how difficult the articles were. And they- we were just constantly in meetings where you're being told, like, you're not meeting your standards. Like, we want you to be producing more content, more content, more content. And um, I don't. So I would say that in- if I'm in a hustle and you know there's some breaking news, I can produce two articles a day that are very short. I can produce one a day that's really good. I can, but in something I already know well. If you give me something I don't know well at all and you tell me I have an hour to do it, what kind of quality do you think you're gonna get out of that? So it's not that journalists are evil and lazy and they want to be terrible. It's that they just wanna stay employed and like they're being told, (laughs) give us more, give us more, give us more. And for this in particular, like, so all the sources you're on a call are going to tell you something very salacious or drastically different from each other. You're going to have a very short amount of time and try and make sense out of that. It makes sense to me whether coverage in this space is trash. That, that, that speaks a lot to the organization that hires people like you. Yeah, I, I was very lucky that here at Coindesk, for example, the article that I published today, um, that took me maybe 24 hours to write and research. And then we spent time editing it, making sure that all the facts were correct. Like, that's not just a full day on the article. That's like a day and a half's worth of work of a day of article and a half a day of fact checking and uh, making sure that everything is perfect. Like, that's not something that you get at most publications, which is the benefit, I think, of working in niche media. Um, there's definitely benefits to working in a mainstream publication where you get like a million clicks on your article and that feels really good. But at the end of the day, I feel like the quality of content you can create when you take that time is just significantly greater. So that being said, so that, that's a good segue into this next point. So wouldn't you, for instance, like go on location, right? To these different, say like conferences um, mm-hmm. that are going on uh, for like developers and et cetera. How does your writing process change when you're trying to record, I mean, excuse me, report as things are like happening like day up? Yeah, so I do as much preparation as I can in advance. Mm-hmm. Uh, people don't realize, I think, how much I do before I go to a conference. They're generally, if I can, I know what it is I wanna write about. I've even gotten some interviews scheduled from while I'm there and I've done some research so, so that while I'm there, I can get something online probably during the conference itself, right? Um, the other thing that really changes, I mean, it's kind of just more intense, right? Because of a lot of my research is talking to individual people, trying to hear what their experiences and what they notice. Uh, at a conference, I'll have 200 people and there's two of me, probably me and a coworker. And I wanna try and hit as many of them as I can. Um, and I wanna understand as much as, as I can. It's probably the worst time to socialize with me as a friend or a human, because <laughs> I'm just running around from person to person, like trying to talk to everyone. Yeah. Um, and trying to also, Usually I end up writing at night during a conference. It's, it's pretty rare that I get a, t- a chance during the day. Um, but it means like, you know, while everyone is out drinking and partying, I go home after a day's worth of conference and just write up a bunch of notes of what everyone's been telling me and try and figure out not only, so when I go to a conference, I wanna do two things. I wanna do what I came to do, what, what I already plan to do. And if I come away from that conference without something I didn't know before, I failed because that means I wasn't listening. So I not only want to finish what it was I started researching when I saw what speakers there were, for example, um, but I want a new 
insight or piece of information based on what was happening at the conference. So that's generally what I try and do there. So I've been to quite a few conferences as a podcaster, um, like in the capacity of a podcaster. And um, my experience is somewhat similar, certainly not as rigorous. Um, I'm also rather lazy, but like the, the key question here, which I think I th- I'm, I think a lot of people miss or this differentiation that I think a lot of people miss is um, what would you consider the differentiation between a journalist and a content creator? Oh, yeah. I really appreciate that you guys pointed this out early on because I think content creators have a very important role to play in the media ecosystem and in the, in the blockchain ecosystem. And I love content, but I understand the difference between journalism and uh, entertainment, right? Mm-hmm. So a content creator can make something with this clear opinion and point of view and bias, and that's acceptable. That's good. Because as much as we like to believe that there's two sides to every story, there might be two perspectives on the same thing, but sometimes somebody's right. And it's okay to uh, have a specific perspective and opinion and experience. It's so much easier to connect to as a person, you know? Mm-hmm. But that's not my job. Um, I do write very rare opinion pieces, but my job is to try and uh, illustrate the perspectives of the people involved and the information about the people involved. My job is not to promote Bitcoin. My job is not to promote Ethereum. My job is to present all of the views and, and information that is available as factually as I can and let the reader decide. And I hope that people who are passionate about these projects will then go in and show the arguments for because right now there's not a finite thing of this is good for this and this is good for that and this will work and this won't work we're still figuring it out and so we need content creators that come in with their vision and their passion to illuminate what could be out of what is and my job is to present what is that makes sense and so that being said th- and that being said through that journey of trying to figure out like what is what do you think is one of the most important lessons learned that you've learned through this process that helps you get down to that this is going to sound really naive and basic but it comes from somebody who before this was working in culture and in politics and i had zero background in tech before this really zero i had no idea what a server was um Mm -hmm. turns out that the basic fundamentals of how computer science work are really relevant (laughs) <laughs> like, uh, hey <laughs> yes <laughs> like if you can't it's... answer very basic questions about how the yeah. internet works and how it is your product or service fits into that then i don't need to spend all the time fact checking um whether or not you actually have that many users because the, the fact of the matter is, is you won't be able to serve them for very long reality will come to bite. So the longer I've been in the space, the more I'm selective about which companies I want to cover, because I think to myself, like if they don't have a fundamental understanding of the challenges they face, then giving them attention is not serving my readers at all. That's a good perspective. That's a really good way to look at it. Is there, is there anything that you would want to lead the audience with as far as through like your perspective, your eyes as you're a journalist in this space? Is there something that you wish that people knew or understood about what it is that you do? Um, so you think that they can maybe better understand you know, what Coindesk or what really any crypto related publication is trying to accomplish? 
Yeah, I feel like this is a common misconception that I'm out for blood and that journalists in general are out for blood, that we want controversy because we want clicks. It is true that most publications in some way value your productivity as an employee by clicks. However, I would say specifically at Coindesk, that is one of the least important metrics that I'm judged by. And it, for me, is like not something, if that was what I cared about, I wouldn't be writing about what I write about. Because I promise you, the stories that people praise and, and enjoy are not the ones that attract the most people. So um, as somebody who's been studying journalism and working in this field a long time, there are a lot of studies about how readers react to certain kinds of information. And unfortunately, some uh, sensationalist lies spread faster, farther than nuanced truth. And this is for a wide variety of reasons, but it just means that if that was my goal, I wouldn't be doing the work that I do. And so it means that if I'm criticizing something, it's not because I'm coming from a place of trying to create controversy for you. To the contrary, um, I want to create value for my readers because in my personal opinion, that's good for the brand. And it's also feels good for me. I don't go home feeling crappy that I wasted my time. Um, so, a lot of times people will you know, see an article and they'll say like, oh, Lee is biased against Ethereum or Lee, it doesn't cover my project, so she must be biased against it. And none of this is true at all. What I'm trying to do is to use the resources that are available to me to provide the best information possible to readers to help them make educated choices and to innovate based on the actual problems and opportunities that exist right? According to their user feedback. I don't think that many people talk as widely across the space as I do. So I'm trying to show the perspective that I see. You know, if I tweet, you know, about, you know, somebody being sexist at a conference, it's not because I have some personal agenda that I want all Bitcoiners to feel guilty. It's because I've heard it from so many people that I think to myself, if people were more aware that other people had this experience, maybe they would step in and, and help next time because they would just notice it. They didn't notice before. I want people to notice what they don't notice. It's right there in front of them, but maybe they just don't see it. That, oh, wow, yeah. that leads no, me to a, like a, a really good perspective. interesting mm -hmm. question that I don't think many people hear from people like you is, what is your opinion of this space now that you've spent so much time researching it, reporting on it, as objectively as possible, like how do you feel about it? Yeah, so I try not to give my opinions. Um, a lot of people, uh, they, they like to try and paint me as wanting this or wanting that, but I will say that my opinion on the space in general is that it's so much more fun to cover this than other beats because you have people who are truly passionate about what they're doing, who want to create change. Most of the people that are in this industry, there's a lot of people that are in it just for fast money, but to be honest, they flush out pretty quickly. Like they come and they go. The people that are stuck around are doing it because they want to make something of value that will last. And that's not always the case when you're covering fashion or when you're covering politics. You know, when you're covering politics, people want to hang on to their seats. When you're covering fashion, people want um, a flash in the pan of creating a trend. That's uh, for people in this space, they want to create something of value that will last. And there's nothing more fun than helping people do that by showing them a, a perspective they didn't see before on their product, on their use cases, um, on the the environment in which they're working. So my, my opinion is that this space is full of dreamers and that certainly there are wild and crazy ideas. But I think that 
the world is better off for having dreamers experiment with the wild and crazy ideas, regardless of whether or not they work. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I appreciate your perspective here. I mean, especially since, you know, since as we're quote unquote, or I feel pseudo journalists, uh, you know, trying to create uh, the, the bias and or non-biased content um, that people like yourself, I feel like can also like reference. So myself, like having written for other publications and things like that in the past, uh, especially or in the earlier days of Bitcoin in like 2014, 2015, the difficulty for me was where do I find worthwhile worthwhile resources where I can actually trust this? Um, and even then, I even though I had a technical background, there was still a lot of like gotchas and because this, the technology was so new that I just absolutely could not understand. And to the, <laughs> it's hard, to the, right? And well, to this day now, fast forward like six years, there are still times that where I'm just like, I really don't understand this. And like, I need to find the person who knows this information. And it's just like, oh, wait, someone just reported on this in the news. I don't even understand this. There is no way that you guys <laughs> sat down and had a discussion with this developer. And it's like, this all sounds like bullshit. And, and it's just like, and so I appreciate people that take the time to do the appropriate research because it's, I mean, the space is filled with researchers. There's people that take a lot of personal time and effort to, you know, come out with these types of innovations in the space that are so technically, you know, uh, excuse me, so technical in nature. So that being said, it's, it's important to respect their time and their technologies too, to actually put in the, you know, the, the effort to understand them and to communicate them to your audience. So here's to people like you, and hopefully there'll be more like you. And, um, you know, people will always try and find something that they don't like uh, about uh, a, a journalist and about how they report on something because they have some monetary vested interest in this and it makes them upset or, you know, like they want it to be spoken about in a different way or whatever to speak to their personal narrative. And that's all cool. But once people understand that, like, journalists' job is to just provide them as objective as a truth as possible, whether or not it makes them happy or not, if anything, at the end of the day, that journalist might have given you information to get you out of an otherwise poor position that you might have been not have had perspective on. And I think some of these things aren't really appreciated. So I, I thank you for your time and coming on the show today, Lee. And, and uh, if there's anything you want to leave the audience, um, the, the floor is yours. Awesome. Thank you. And I also want to say, Stephen, that you're incredibly prolific. You write so much. And I'm very, very impressed by that, how you manage to do it while also like having a million other jobs in this space. I, I, I asked myself that question, too. <laughs> <laughs> really, I, really, I have something literally to do now. <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, but after this, I'm going to crush a cup of coffee, I'm sure, as you're familiar with. And I'm just going to put my head down and just figure it out because that's what you have to do. So yeah. if, if I guess if I'm going to leave the audience with something, what I really want to say is, in my personal opinion, the quality of a journalist is not only determines by what they produce, but how they react when they get something wrong. And it happens. I've definitely gotten things wrong. And it happens to every human being. People will get things wrong. And the best thing that we can do in this space is to politely, professionally, you know, not in a disrespectful way, point out these mistakes and help the journalists fix it. I really appreciate when people help me fix mistakes. Um, people do it all the time, and I'm extremely grateful for it. And I try as quickly as I can get that uh, mistake corrected online. And people get when you get upset about a piece of content, that's okay. That's an, a natural reaction sometimes. But 
I've always had people, like if I've ever written a controversial article, there's always been the people that just like yell on Twitter. And then there's people that reach out and be like, hey, Lee, did you see this data? Because maybe you didn't see it. And sometimes they're right. And I can correct something right away. And I appreciate that. And I encourage people to, for all journalists, not just me, uh, reach out professionally and with kindness. And if you do so, it will improve the quality of information out there for everyone. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. That's 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 very excellent advice. And hopefully the, the listeners are listening in. And uh, the next time somebody comes to cold call you with uh, some information for like a story, <laughs> it's a little bit easier for you to just say no. <laughs> um, so so again, thank you for coming on the show. And uh, as you continue to, you know, proliferate your, your own messaging across the space as a journalist, we hope to maybe have you back in the future as, as you grow um, so we can get a better understanding of the space. But otherwise, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, guys. Yes. Hope I see you next time. Said I want to be done.